Great to be with you guys this morning. You know, uh, as you and I talk a little bit about this concept of love, uh, I don't think that any of us would disagree if we spent any time whatsoever thinking about it, that love isn't a powerful force on our planet. That this idea of love, uh, in, in its multiple facets and definitions, uh, has the power to change a life, it has the power to change the world. I mean, love is an incredibly powerful force. We see this in multiple arenas in our everyday experience. Certainly, we see it in entertainment, right? I mean, if, if you're going to get people to pay $13 to come and sit in a room and stare at a screen for two hours, you better have some powerful stuff in there, right? And so, yes, granted, some of the time we just pay to go and see some uh, people blow other people up because they wear super suits, and sometimes we go see people act really silly so we can laugh at them. Yes, but that, that, that gets old after a while. Uh, what we are drawn in by a lot of times, if we're just going to go watch a story unfold, is the intricacies within that story of this thing we call love, this unfolding relational dynamic between people uh, that is going to stir in us a movement in our soul that kind of goes, wow, I'm, I'm moved. I mean, we see it all the time. Disney, Disney does this beautifully, don't they? I mean, uh, every Disney movie at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, it travels through an entire deal, and at the end, what conquers all? What conquers all every time? It's love. Now, it used to be a princess and a prince. And, and the, the prince would rescue the princess. They've sort of abandoned that theme and they're now going to the uh, evil queen is actually good queen and is actually the one that loves, right? I mean, that we saw that in Frozen, right? You, you have Elsa, the, the, the crazy one, freezing the entire planet to death and, and, and living by herself. And then, and then Anna comes and, and Anna's love helps Elsa become all that she needs to be. And we see, oh my gosh, love conquers all. No prince involved. That's awesome. Uh, Maleficent, you know? Uh, Maleficent happened and uh, evil queen and she's kind of going along and she's the evil one but then uh, the the sleeping beauty wins the evil queen's heart not the prince's heart the prince is nothing in the movie and the evil queen ends up being the one that kisses her forehead and oh she wakes up spoiler alert you should have seen it by now anyways and then at that uh, moment if you haven't that's your fault uh, and in that in that moment uh, all of the all of the people cry well at least the ladies cry and and the men sit there and go what what on what on earth why why uh, because love moves us For for us guys, it's movies like Braveheart and, and Gladiator. Uh, a man deeply loves a woman. Somebody kills his wife, and so he conquers nations and overthrows tyrants. And we go, oh, and we cry. And the woman go, what on earth? So uh, this is this d different forms of love, no doubt. But uh, the, this reality of human relationship, this moves us. And in, in entertainment, it's kind of skewed, right? I mean, we all know it's there. We feel it, but it's not really real. But when you look at real life, uh, you see this playing out in, in in real ways in terms of the power of love. You, you see it in our normal human relationships. You take an ordinary boy and you take an ordinary girl living ordinary lives, going about their business, uh, studying hard and, uh, and having a job and friends and uh, doing logical things. And you kind of look at them and go, this is, this is good. And then boy meets girl. And suddenly the, the job is off the table and, and the school suffers and uh, work is gone and friendships are dead and everybody goes, well, what on earth? And, and what do we find? Oh, uh, there's a girlfriend or there's a boyfriend. See, once we are in love, once we have found ourselves deeply connected to another person, there's power in that. I mean, it, it, it takes us from the everyday and it moves us. I see this in my home all the time. 
I mean, I, I live in a home with uh, 10 human beings, myself and nine others, and uh, every single relational conflict that occurs in my home, every single problem that is in my home as the result of one relationship to another, if you step into the moment where one, two, three, four, or five of them are in a, a situation or Brooke and I are involved in, and you step back and say, now, if you thought about them before you thought about you, and you thought about them before you thought about you, and you thought about them before you thought about you, it eliminates every single relational dynamic that goes bad. Listen to this. In my home, if love won out every time between relationships, here's what my home would be. You ready for this? It would be a perfect environment. Now, think about it. It would literally be conflict-free, and it would be a perfect environment. That's the power of human beings when they actually just love others, and that is their central and, and, and most initial experience. What it creates is an environment of practical perfection. This is the intent of God's story from the very beginning. God's story from the very beginning was a story where he created us, the human race, into an environment where we would be loved deeply, wholeheartedly from him. We would experience radical, unconditional love from God that would fill us up with all that we need. And then in that experience, we would have the ability to freely love one another without any boundaries. We would be able to love radically and unconditionally because we experienced a life without need. So God says when he created humanity, he did not create humanity with the purpose of having an obligation by the law to keep him happy. He created humanity to live in freedom by love in relationship with him. And so what happened is, we human beings bought into the lie that the enemy said you would have a better life if you actually lived in your, in your own divinity, in self-reliance, and wrote your own story, and, and did your own thing. And, and you know, we discovered that didn't play out well. We didn't discover divinity when we disobeyed God and ate of the forbidden fruit. We actually discovered death. And what we discovered there was that that freedom we had to be able to love unconditionally and radically suddenly disappeared because we were no longer in relationship where we were loved radically and unconditionally in our experience with God because we were broken from relationship with him. So our ability to love unconditionally and radically and therefore birth freedom was lost to us. So everything we started doing as human beings was a manipulation of love on some level because now I have need, I have deep need and either he's gonna fill it for me or you're gonna fill it for me or I'm gonna figure out how to fill it myself. And so we started functioning in relationship where we were chasing after the wind, chasing after relational dynamics, chasing after uh, fame, fortune and whatever else we could, uh, chasing after some format to make ourselves feel full again and so everything changed in us. And we couldn't love unconditionally, we couldn't love radically, because the only thing we actually loved was ourselves. That's the only thing we actually loved. And, and, and even that was a skewed love, it was, a, it was driven by need. I need. And so out we went to try to fill that. The story of the gospel, 
the good news of God, the story of God uh, that fulfills the whole scripture, that doesn't stop at our breakdown in relationship with God, that then translated into an, obligate, an obligation of relationship toward him. We had law, we fulfilled law so that he would be happy, so that we would get what we want. The, the story of the gospel says Jesus came to planet earth to undo all of that. We moved from uh, a relationship of love that led to freedom to a relationship of law that led to obligation. And Jesus comes to undo that, and the gospel is you are no longer obligated to the law that you couldn't fulfill living in a constant sense of burden toward God and one another, but you are now once again brought back into right relationship with God where his radical, unconditional love is freely given to you and I, and in that recognition of that incredible freedom, you are brought back into a space where your ability by God's power to love unconditionally and radically is beginning to grow once again. That's the story of the gospel. Paul has been traveling around taking this gospel reality and, and, and bringing it to different people. He was in the region of Galatia. Uh, in Galatia, you had Jews and Gentiles mixed, so two worlds that were completely separated because when you live under the obligation of the law, that's what it does. It divides, it separates, it, it creates comparison, and we live in a world of comparison with one another, and we live in a world of comparison with us insiders and them outsiders, right? They're bad, we're good, and I'm better than you. That, that's what the law does. And so Paul enters into that world and he begins to share the wonder of the gospel to them and says, it doesn't have to work that way anymore. Jesus came to set us free from this obligation to the law, from this lawlessness in which we live. And he brings us in under Christ and gives us freedom. And then out of that freedom, we live a life of love. He leaves Galatia and he's traveling on to carry the gospel elsewhere, gets word that the Galatians have bought into a lie that is twisting that beautiful gospel. And here's the lie they bought into. A bunch of the Gentiles and Jews had come back to Galatia and they'd said to the Galatian Gentiles in particular, hey, glad you have Jesus, glad you're part of the church now, but we must also step into the law through circumcision so that we can belong to God rightly, so that we can be right with God. They were bringing back into the picture the obligation of the law so that they could create a world where we, in self-righteousness, make ourselves right with God and so that we could be the insiders again and the rest could be the outsiders again because this was the standard they lived in. Paul writes the book of Galatians going, what on earth happened to you? Foolish Galatians, how did you fall into this insanity? going back to the old life of obligation to self-righteousness or giving in to lawlessness and, and self-reliance. What on earth? And this is what he writes in the book of Galatians. He says, guys, the gospel matters. It matters the most of all. It matters a great deal. The gospel is what reshapes and reorders our life from obligation to freedom. You want to know the gospel. You want to live by the gospel. You do not want to live by the law. And he says, not only does the gospel matter, but getting the gospel right matters. If you don't get it right, if it's twisted or turned, then you're going to find yourself in a version of self-reliance again, either through self-righteousness or through some crazy lawlessness under what you think is the freedom of the gospel. So you've got to get the gospel right. You've got to know its nuances. You've got to understand how it frees you from both self-righteousness and the obligation to the law or lawlessness and self-governance and the obligation to the flesh. It, it frees you from both. And then he says to them, what is the gospel in its essence? 
The gospel is this. That you, though you tried to free yourself, either through self-righteousness or through self-governance and lawlessness, you couldn't do it. You couldn't do it either way. So Christ came to do what? To set you free. To set me free. To rescue my soul. To redeem my future and give me a future in eternity again. Establish my inheritance of eternal life. And to restore my purpose that in view of my soul rescue and my eternal life. In view of those two realities. I now once again know the love of God. And so what can I do? I can display the love of God by loving others. This is what Paul writes about the gospel. It came to set you free. Remember Galatians chapter 5? It is for freedom that you have been set free. It's for freedom. You're free to live freely. And this is what the freedom is. The freedom is to live in the God-created purpose you originally created for. To be loved and to love powerfully. Why? Because what does love create? Love creates freedom. What does obligation and law create? It creates division and judgment and, and, and standards by which we compare one another. It's, it's horrid. So now you're free to go live again. And, and in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, this is what he says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since you now know, since I've now unpacked all this and you are free... Do not use your freedom to go live lawlessly, binding yourself back to the flesh because you were bound to the law. Don't be bound to the flesh. Both are equally horrid. Go live freely in the freedom that I've given you. And what is that freedom? To love one another. To love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is the ultimate command of Jesus, isn't it? Live your life to love God and to love others. That's it. The entire law, all the prophets, the whole deal, the story of God. There are the two realities that are born out of that. Love God, love others, because God radically loves you. That's how we were created. And so we're sent out to go live that life. And, and yet what happens to us? We go, that sounds awesome. Except when I walk out of this door, there's a problem. All those crazies out there and the ones sitting next to me, they don't love me. So I go love them nicely and then they punch me in the face. And then I get all mad and I punch them back. So I, I want to understand. I want to know. I want to live freely. But there's this thing in me, this voice in my head that seems to keep saying, it's all about you. It's all about you. And so what do I do about that? And then Paul writes and says, look, we now know the gospel. We know we have it. We understand it. We want to go live lives of love. But the reason that the Garden of Eden was a perfect environment is because God loved Adam and Eve. Adam loved Eve and Eve loved Adam perfectly. And so there was no difficulty in that. But now when you love Eve, she doesn't love you. And when Eve loves you, you don't love her. And so it gets a little more complicated. So he says, here's the problem. Uh, though you are free in soul, spirit, you are not free in flesh yet. And so there is this, still the self voice in the head. It's actually about you. It's actually about you. That's what the enemy's been doing since the Garden of Eden. Not about him. It's actually about you. He exists for you or just exist without him. And so he says, there's a great battle within you and here's how you fight the battle. You wanna know how you walk out these doors and live this incredible life of, of unconditional radical love? Well, you get real, real close to the one who loves unconditionally and radically and you stay real, real close to him. 
Your work is not a work of self-righteousness to try to please him or a work of lawlessness and self-governance to try to just live any way you want because you're under his freedom. Your work is a work of relational intimacy with the Spirit of God who births in you the things that will give you the power to love unconditionally and radically. So when you cannot love unconditionally and radically, where, where do you go? You run back to intimacy with God and that births this radical love. So that's so far as the book of Galatians, right? We covered a great deal of ground in the book of Galatians, and that's awesome. And here we are standing at the very end of the book of Galatians. When we're done here this weekend, the book of Galatians is done. So how does Paul conclude this entire reality? What is Paul going to do? What he's going to do now is, now that he's laid the groundwork for us, we understand the gospel, it's freedom, and our call into radical, unconditional love by the power of the Spirit through intimacy with the Spirit, he's now going to get super super practical on us and go, so if this is true and you enter into this relational dynamic of you working toward intimacy with the Spirit instead of working toward self-righteousness or lawlessness, then what's going to be born is an incredible world, both internally in the body of believers as well as externally in the world. And I'm going to show you what this is going to look like because it looks utterly different from the world you're used to living in. So let's grab our Bibles and turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. If you're using one of the Bibles that we provide, that's going to be on page 633. 633. If you're using one of your own Bibles you brought, go to Galatians, chapter 6, verse 1. Galatians, chapter 6, verse 1. So, Galatians, chapter 5. Guys, we're free in the gospel. Guys, use your freedom to love one another uh, unconditionally and radically. And the only way you're going to do that is through the power of the Spirit in you and through intimacy with that Spirit so that you are constantly with Him. So if you're going to work, work at intimacy. Don't work at righteousness. And then out of you will be born fruit, which will birth love, which will birth freedom. Now he's going to say this. Brothers, verse 1, chapter 6. If anyone is caught in any transgression, in other words, you've kind of slipped away uh, and, and you've fallen into some snare or trap, you're, you're acting outside of the uh, wisdom of God, doing it your way instead of his, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, then uh, uh, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each, of, uh, each one of you test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So this is where Paul begins. He goes, okay, here's how it's going to play out, folks assuming that you're living in intimacy with the Spirit and out of His fruit and power, you're now walking into a life of radical, unconditional love. Here's where it begins. Here's where it begins to shape and change things. So He's both revealing to us what it's gonna look like and actually calling us into it. Since you have the Spirit, since you're free in the gospel, now this is what you ought to do. This is what it ought to look like. And this is what He says. How did it used to work? Well, I'm trying to live righteously before God, and so I'm doing my thing, and you're trying to live righteously before God, and what happens is, whenever you start living unrighteously, 
Uh, I sort of go, oh, don't touch him or don't touch her. They're kind of unrighteous. There's a cast out system, right? Do you remember how that worked? Under the obligation of the law, anything that was unrighteous could taint the righteous. So when you did something that was outside the law, you were broken from community. And, and, and until you went and fixed it, go, go get the righteous requirements of the law, fix them. Then you come back in here and you tell us you're fixed. Then we go, all right, you're allowed back in. That's how it's been working. So it's an it's a, it's a obligation toward a law that breaks down and, and divides. And, and this is how it functions. If you happen to be the one that's not doing the crazy stuff right now, how do you feel about that? Let's be honest. We're living under the obligation of the law. We like to grade on a curve, don't we? And so this is how we feel. Whoo! Thank goodness I'm not acting crazy like they are. Whoo! Thank goodness. I mean, I'm, I'm still good. And so secretly, deep down, we feel better about ourselves, don't we? Because this is how human beings work. There are two ways to make yourself feel good about yourself. Either do stuff nobody else can do and then tell everyone, look at me, I'm amazing. You don't say it quite that way because we're more subtle than that and more educated than that. We do it in ways that sounds humble but is actually prideful, right? Or your other option is this, tear everybody else around you down. That way you look good. Or at least point out when they're torn down. Oh, look at her, look at him. So sad the way they're living. Unbelievable, how could anyone make those kinds of decisions? I just don't understand it. See, this is how we function. And here's what Paul says. If that's how it's been, this is how it now becomes. When somebody out there in your circle of biblical community, spiritual brothers and sisters, he's talking to us in the church, when one of you starts slipping and sliding into a trap or a snare, quickly, quickly initiate and gently draw them back into freedom. Don't stand idly by and go, uh, uh, unbelievable. No, engage immediately in gentleness and love. See, he's gonna talk about love now. This is not obligation to the law. This is freedom in love. You step in and you say, brother, sister, love you. You're awesome. What on earth? What, what, are, you, what are you doing? You and I both know better. You keep living this way. You know where this goes. I mean, look, it's your call, but I'm just saying you know where this goes. And I don't want to stand idly by and say, oh, you know what? I don't want to offend, so just go ahead and live crazy and let it be destructive. No, love is stepping into those moments and saying, can I, can I come alongside you? Can I, can I shoulder this burden with you? Can I carry this load with you? A lot of times our slipping into snares is because we are pressured by anxiety and reality. What if we stepped into each other's lives and said, what's going on? How can I help? How can I be there? And, and we actually build up instead of tear down because why? We no longer need to feel good about ourselves because we are loved radically and unconditionally by God so we don't have to live in comparison. And he says this, while you're at it and you're caring for those around you that are slipping, be careful not to slip into the snare of sin yourself. What does that mean? Well, it, could, uh, it probably means two things. One, don't go hang out with them and, and, and chill with them and try to like, woo, until you eventually actually do what they do. When you're listening to them and they logically unpack and justify their sin, which they will, don't go, oh, yeah, now that you put it that way, I feel like I should do that too. Oh, you'd be surprised how often we do that. We go into scenarios where a relational dynamic's taking place and there's breakdown in a, in a relationship and uh, we go with our friend and, and we say, well, why are you making these decisions to break uh, this relationship apart? And then they share, oh, but, but she this and oh, but he that and oh, my kid that. And then what do we go? Oh, 
oh gosh, now I understand. Yeah, absolutely walk away. See, I mean, it's, it's weird how often we actually find ourselves justifying along with us. And so what he's saying is keep your eyes on the gospel, keep your eyes on radical, unconditional love, and draw them back into freedom. Don't get your eyes off freedom just because you're hanging with them. But he also says this, be careful not to fall into your own snare, and then he unpacks what that is. He goes, listen, carry one another's burdens. That's how this is supposed to roll. Jesus carried our burden for us so we are no longer burdened, so now we have the space on our backs to carry the burdens of others. This is how you follow Jesus. Do not, whatever you do, he says it there, do not think more of yourself than you ought, right? If you think that you're special but you're not, then you're just deceiving yourself. That's what he said in the passage. Here's what he means by that. This is that same old, same old, right? Oh, I'm coming to rescue you from your craziness. I'm coming to tell you how crazy your decisions are, and secretly, I'm grateful I don't make the same ones. See, here's what he's saying. You and me equally capable of falling into snares and traps. As a matter of fact, all of us will at some point in our journey multiple times. And the only thing we've got going for us is that the others in our community will have the, 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 the love in them to initiate and step into our craziness and say, brother, sister, love you, man. What, what, are, you, what are you doing? Gently, quietly, come back to freedom. So he says, whatever you do when you're, when you're bringing a brother or sister back from a snare, don't start comparing. Just don't do it. That was the old way under the obligation of the law. You are now under the freedom of love. So there's no comparison. You walk in and you say, I'm in the same boat as you. I just happen to not be acting stupid today, which is a really good thing. And so I can come step into your life now and bring you back to freedom. Hopefully tomorrow you'll do it for me. Because if you think you're better than they are because you don't make decisions like they do, then you're only fooling yourself. That's what he says. And that was the old way. That's how it used to work. But it doesn't have to work that way anymore because now we have love. And love drives differently than law, doesn't it? It makes different decisions. It draws indifferently. So he says, carry one another's burdens. Don't think more of yourself than you ought. And he actually says this. In fact, here's how life should work. Under the law of the gospel, that is love, the only thing you're responsible for is how you are living in intimacy with the Spirit of God. So instead of determining how good you are by comparing yourself to others who aren't as good as you, how about you just look at you? You see how he says it there? Uh, take care of your responsibilities. Do what you know the Spirit of God is leading you to do and stop going, at least I'm not as bad as them. And so he says, then at least when you do take some pride in what you're bringing to Jesus, you're not doing it this way. I'm not bringing you anything. I'm just bringing you more than they are. See, you know how often we see ourselves as awesome? Not because we're awesome, but because they're less awesome. So he goes, don't build a story on the less awesome people than you. That's how we function. Stop it. Just do what you're called to do, and then that will be enough for Christ, because ultimately you're writing the story that is your story in participation with the story God's already writing for you. So participate, guess what? In your story, not in everybody else's. And just live yours well, and that's all that matters. And while you're living yours well, when somebody else isn't living theirs well, have enough love in your heart to go to them and say, do you really want this story? Because it doesn't seem like a good story to me, and I love you, so I want you to have a free good story. You know Jesus, what on earth? And then draw them back in. Now look what he says here. Let, verse eight, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Verse six, 
He just throws this little verse in there, and then you'll see he'll go, he'll go into something completely different now. And then when I first read it, I'm like, why, Paul? I don't understand. Uh, by the way, we're talking about these big things in community. Uh, be good to the one who teaches you. Now, it's not bad for me, right? Because I'm like, sweet, I could do a whole sermon on this about how you're supposed to treat me because I'm teaching you the word, and so now you're supposed to be good to me and give me all good things, and I love this verse. But that's not Paul's intent, just so you know. Paul's intent here is actually super simple. All Paul is saying is this. Under the obligation of the law, when we lived under a standard of comparison, it was always in the teaching-mentoring relationship, it was always a one-way deal, right? The teacher's mature, and he's pouring love into the students, and then the students are learning. And here's what he's saying. He's saying in the, in the new order of the new creation under the gospel, we love who? One another. So just as the one who is leading you loves you, so too you love the one who's leading you. This is, this is the, it is the equalization of the entire story. There is no up and down. There's only one difference that we can stand by and go, yep, uh, that's, a, that's worthy of comparison. It's different. And that's Jesus and us, okay? He's awesome. He's God. He's creator. He's Lord. He's Savior. He's everything. What are we? I'm not going to go through the list, okay? But by God's grace, he has made us free in him. But we, one another, we're equal. We're equal. We struggle the same way. We, 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 we deal with the same stuff, different contexts, different deals, but ultimately the same. And whether you are teacher or whether you are student, love one another. Be good to one another. Don't constantly look for ways to compare, either by comparing yourself to the teacher and going, I'll never be like him or her, or going, they think they're so awesome. I know more than they do. Whatever, which is what we usually do, isn't it? And he goes, stop being critical about one another and start just caring about one another. Now look what he says here. Now he's kind of getting into this. He started getting into this and now he's gonna stop for a second. He's gonna go, oh, just in case you and I are being drawn back into some crazy work, right? Work at this and work at that and work at the next thing. Work at love. Love this person. Love that person. Don't do that. Well, you, know, you know how we think, right? We immediately gravitate back toward, oh, it's a new law, a new set of requirements I can do. Look, I'm loving well. Now he's gonna go, oh, hold on, remember where this is born. Remember where this comes from. This is not a work of your own. This is a work of the Spirit of God in you. And so ultimately, this is about what? What is your work? What is my work? Is it trying to love well like he's describing here? No, because that's what the Spirit of God will do in us. So what is our work? To stay intimate with the Spirit of God. Always come back to that. What do I do? I keep my eyes fixed on the gospel, on Jesus, and I stay intimate with the Spirit. That's it. That's all I do. That's all I can do. And he does everything else in me. If I'm loving radically and unconditionally, it's because the spirit of God is producing fruit in me that is producing love, that is producing freedom. And what did I do? I ran to the spirit and stayed real close to him. Please don't go anywhere. I worked at that. Look, Paul's gonna say it. A little reminder here. Do not be deceived, he says in verse seven. God is not mocked. For whoever, uh, whatever one sows, that also uh, will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So it's interesting, and I love that he put the word eternal life there, because if he, if he was talking about the temporal life, if you sow toward the flesh, then it's not going to go well for you here, and if you sow toward the Spirit, well, then you'll be able to love radically. He didn't put that. He put eternal life there. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about where we've placed our eggs, hasn't he? 
He says, look, if you place all your eggs in the basket of self, in the basket of flesh, in in self-reliance, self-righteousness, self-governance, whatever self you want to pick, just know that no matter what, no matter when, any time you count on self, it is going to reap corruption and destruction. But if you put your eggs in the basket of the Spirit, knowing that it is by the Spirit, through the Spirit, in His power that anything good will happen, and you have placed your future in that reality of the gospel and your current life in that reality of the gospel, it will reap life and eternal life at that. So he's, he's reminding us real quick, I'm talking about how to love one another here, how to not compare, how to do all that, how to care for your, your teachers and the students alike, how to look differently. But remember where all that comes from. If, if you are trying to do this in the self-basket, corruption and destruction is going to reap just like it does eternally. And if you're trying to do this in the Spirit's basket, it's going to reap life and eternal life. So he's just a quick reminder, what's our work? Intimacy with the Spirit of God. Eyes fixed on the gospel of Jesus. Heart set on things above. Staying close to God. That's it. God's work, birth in us fruit, leads to radical love, leads to radical freedom. This is what we do. God will not be mocked if you're trying to do this on your own. Ain't gonna work. Just, it's just not. Now look what he says. Now considering that reminder in the power of the Spirit, in intimacy with the Spirit, here's what he says. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, we have, uh, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. So here Paul says this, just as eternity depends on where you sow your trust. If you're going to count on self for eternity, corruption and death. If you're going to count on self, I mean on the spirit for eternity, eternal life. In the same way, in the natural order of things, as you sow your life towards self in the everyday stuff, you will run out of perseverance, you will grow weary of doing good, and you will cave in and give up. Why? Because guys, doing good is not easy on planet earth. Garden of Eden, easy. Why? Because everybody there loved everybody. That's what made it easy. It was a perfect environment. In my house, if I have 10 people and all 10 of them suddenly became absolutely, unconditionally, radically uh, uh, loving toward everyone else in the house, I wouldn't have to teach a few of them to persevere, right? I don't think that's okay. Look, it's easy. We walk in the house. Oh, it's love. It's perfect. But you take two of them or four of them or six of them and you leave them corrupt. Now I'm dealing with the others and going, persevere, persevere. But I tried to do good. I know they punched you in the face, but persevere. But they don't reciprocate my love. I know it's hard. It's planet earth. And that's what but, but Paul, Paul's saying here is once you begin to love radically, even those who know the gospel and are loving radically, remember you have to kind of call them back to freedom when they're acting crazy, just like they have to call you back to freedom when you're acting crazy, which by definition means what? Sometimes we act crazy. And when we act crazy, what do we do? We're certainly not loving radically and unconditionally. We're loving self and being self-reliant. So it reaps corruption. So here's the deal. When you get tired of doing good, Keep persevering because you know that it is by the Spirit that you can persevere and through the Spirit that you will reap life here, freedom here, and eternal life. 
See, what Paul's doing is he's keeping us right back there. Stay intimate with the Spirit. Keep your eyes fixed on the gospel truth of your rescue. And in that power led by the Spirit, there and only there can you persevere in doing good works in not being anxious about the story being written for you, trying to, like regular human beings, write your own story to make it a good one, retire well, and have security. And in the meantime, worry yourself sick that that might not happen. Because you're free from that. God's writing a beautiful story for you, and through you, he will do beautiful things the way you persevere is staying intimate with the Spirit and just doing the work out of the power of the Spirit, doing good. And what does he say? Listen to this now. This is beautiful. He says, any opportunity you have to bless someone else, to love someone else, do it. Assume that that is of the Spirit. If you ever wonder, I just never know when the Spirit's leading me or when it's myself. Just, just, this is a good rule of thumb. This is what he says here. Good rule of thumb. Any opportunity you have that if what you're about to do is going to bless others and, and build them up and make their life better, do it. Do it. And if it's not, if you go, what I'm about to do is not going to bless them, not going to build them up, and not going to help, don't do it. Because the Spirit is always going to lead you and I to the same place. Radical, unconditional love, period. He will never lead us to a place of, uh, don't love this time. I mean, that person, just don't. It's not worth it. Now listen, here's the deal. Remember this, quick side note, parentheses here. Love looks very different in different contexts. Love doesn't always mean lay yourself down like a doormat and let someone walk all over you. Love often is tough love. Radical, unconditional love is often doing what someone thinks isn't love for a future reality that will bless them. I tell my kids all the time, uh, you know, the, uh, in, in my home, because there's so many of them, uh, you can feel things build. It's, it's, like a, it's like a tidal wave coming. So I've gotten used to now catching it on the feel side. I'm like, ooh, you can hear the tension. The, the tone changes in the voice. Things start escalating. And usually it's because one or two of them are not in a good place that morning or that day. When you have 10 human beings, the chance that you're going to have two moody human beings at any given moment are rock solid, 102%. And so I can usually tell which two or three are just not in a good place today. So what I'll do is, now that I've learned this over two and a half years, I don't wait for it to escalate, explode, and then there's blood everywhere, and I'm trying to pull people apart, and then I'm mad and I'm screaming, you go to your room for four days, you go outside for six days, you leave the house forever. I don't say things like that, right? And so that, that's what it reaps, right? So here's what I do. Now, when I hear it escalating now, I walk into the room and it's kind of escalating. I'll go, hey, hey, guys, uh, pay attention here for a second. All right, honey, I want you to go to your room and read for 30 minutes, play a board game, do whatever. You can go do whatever you want to do. Just go, go to your room and I want you to go to your room for a little bit and then you guys go downstairs to, and then I get that face like, what have I done? Why are you punishing me? And I'll hear it. What, did, what have I done? And I'll, I'll say this right away. I'll say, you've, you've done nothing yet. You've done nothing yet. So here's the deal. I am loving you right now and protecting you. And then they look at me with a quizzical look and I'm saying, and I'm protecting you from yourself. 
I'm protecting you from you because I can tell there's a little tension inside of you building and here's what's gonna happen with that tension. In just about two minutes, it's gonna lash out at someone in this room. They're gonna lash out back at you, probably that one right there because they're a little tense too and then it's gonna be a massive explosion. Then I'm gonna walk in here screaming and shouting like a madman. I'm gonna rip you apart and tear you into your rooms. You're gonna be crying. I'm gonna be feeling guilty. This house is gonna be a mess and the enemy will have won. So I love you too much for that so I'm gonna send you to your little room now as a gift to you so you can go relax you can come in my home I, I do it I do it fairly regularly now this is my gift to you see sometimes love is determining what is ultimately going to be best for the other person but here's the kicker here's the clue into whether you are loving someone or not ask yourself this question is what I'm about to do best for them or best for me? Because if it's ultimately best for you, then you're just justifying some action that's not going to be loving. This is usually true in relational dynamics. You know, it's just, it's just best that we call it a day on this relationship because ultimately it's really best for them because they don't have to deal with the tension in this. I'm like, no, 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 that's best for you actually. What's best for people, that's what you always want to, uh, love is simple. This is, this is simple love. I do what's best for you before I think about what's best for me. And once I've done what's best for you, then I try to determine how I can also find some need met in that. God doesn't say meet the needs of others and never meet your own. He says meet the needs of others ahead of yourself. So there's a space for you but the space comes after the act of radical, unconditional love, not before. So every time you have opportunity to love someone, to bless someone, the scripture says, when you are intimate with the spirit, living in that space, here's how it's gonna play and here's what you should expect. For everyone, just love them whenever you have the opportunity. And then he says this, and especially those in the body of faith, in the biblical community. Why does he say that? That seems odd, doesn't it? It sort of seems uh, opposite to everything he's saying. Here's what, here's what it seems like he's saying. Love everyone, but love these people the most because they're the most special. Love these people first. When you're, if you run out of love on these people, well, then don't worry about those outsiders. That's what it feels like, isn't it? But that's not what he's saying. Jesus defined himself by love, didn't he? He came to planet Earth. He lived a life of love and then he died a death of love, and then he rose from the dead in love for us, and then he said this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, or while you were still his enemies, Christ loved you so much that he died for you, right? So he defines himself by love, and then how does he define us? He defines us as a community by love as well. They will know that you follow me by your love for one another. People won't even know we follow Jesus unless we love each other, so here's what Paul's saying. Love everyone as much as you can, but make sure you're always loving this group because if we don't love one another and this place is a mess, it doesn't matter if we're loving out there because every time they come from out there into here and they get in here and they go, oh, this is how it rolls, then they're not even gonna know the gospel anyways. What's the point? Don't even bother. But if you're gonna love everyone, make sure constantly you're loving those here. We ought to have a special place in our hearts for each other. That's, that's where Galatians 6 started. Men, continually look for ways to love one another. Now Paul writes this. Here's the closing of the book of Galatians. See what, 
uh, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. That's an odd statement. Here's simply what that means. Generally, when Paul was writing a letter like this, he would be dictating the letter. And so there'd be a scribe writing in the nice handwriting because Paul well, didn't necessarily have or not have a nice handwriting, but it's just easier to talk and think and then the scribe's writing. And then what you would do is at the end of the letter, you'd get the letter from the scribe and you would just sign your name unless there was something super important you wanted to say that was sort of the grand conclusion to all things. And then what you would do is you'd write the last paragraph in your own handwriting so that as the person is reading it to the church in Galatia, He'd be reading, and then the, the last paragraph, the writing would change, and, and, and it would be larger so that it would stand out. It's sort of our red bold, right? Ding! So Paul actually makes a statement here because it's so important. He goes, now notice the writing's just changed. It's larger letters in red and bold because I'm writing this last paragraph because if you forget everything else, please don't forget this because this is what all other things I've just talked about in Galatians hangs on. Look at this. What is it? See, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. So here's what Paul's saying. Guys, let me just conclude this letter by reminding you where this letter first started and the reason I'm writing this letter. There's a bunch of people trying to tell you that the gospel is not freedom and that you need to be circumcised in order to live under Christ and live under the obligation of the law. Please know my heart. The people telling you that don't care about your freedom. They don't care about what you actually need to live by. They care about themselves. They're doing this out of these motives. They don't want to be persecuted by the Jews anymore. So these are Gentiles that have been circumcised in order not to be persecuted by the Jews or Jews that are living under circumcision as part of the gospel so that they can live in both worlds. They're in the church, but they also please the Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem that still don't live under Christ. They don't want to be persecuted, so they just want to live easy lives. They don't care about the gospel as much as they care about themselves. And they don't care about you. They care about themselves. And so here's the problem. They want you circumcised so they can go back and tell all the other people, look, it's okay. Leave the church in Galatia alone because we're getting everybody circumcised. We got 42 done yesterday. It was awesome. They want to boast in the conversions to circumcision that they are affecting in you. Please make sure you understand their motives. They're not here for your freedom. They are here for your destruction because they care about themselves. Everything Galatians said, right? When we care about self, it leads to corruption and destruction. Now look what he says. But, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as far as all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. For now, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, uh, with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul finalizes this letter this way. Guys, 
I come to you because of the gospel and I boast in the gospel alone. I come for your freedom and your freedom alone. I don't boast in you, I boast in the gospel. So next time someone comes, whether it's your own head or somebody else, and tries to convince you that there is some other gospel, please stop causing me anxiety because remember, I bear the marks of Christ. I have been crucified to the world I used to live in and I live in the freedom of Christ now. And for all of you that live in this gospel, welcome to freedom, he says. Welcome to freedom. May God infuse your spirit with his. God bless you. This is how he closes the letter. This is how he closes the letter. What is Paul's conclusion here? Folks, the gospel matters. Getting the gospel right matters. Understanding that the gospel is your freedom, that matters. Why? Because when you recognize and realize the radical, unconditional love of Jesus in your own life, that and that alone will draw you into deep intimacy with God, wanting and desiring to constantly stay close to him. And as you work at staying close to him through the disciplines of relationship and faith, things like prayer and fasting and worship and studying of the word and meditation and memorization and solitude and silence and other things that that have been given to us as gifts to work toward intimacy with Christ because we're no longer tirelessly working in self-righteousness under the obligation of the law or lawlessness under the boundaries and bondages of the flesh or under self-reliance trying to make a life for our own, anxious to try to write our own good story under the, well, God's still good. Since we're free from all of that, we can spend our energy on figuring out how to consistently stay intimate with the Spirit. And as we do stay intimate with the Spirit, fruit of the kingdom of the Spirit will be born in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And out of these great fruit that are of the Spirit, not of the human, out of these great fruit will be born love. And radical, unconditional love will lead to radical, unconditional freedom. So please, brothers and sisters, Paul says, live under the gospel, not under the obligation of the law or under self-governance or reliance because that is where your freedom is at. I heard a story once of a guy uh, in Hawaii, true story. Uh, He was up working on the uh, hillsides of the mountains of Hawaii. His family lived in a little village down by the beach. This was a number of years ago. And a tidal wave came into uh, the the, the beach at Hawaii. It washed onto the beach and it wiped that village out. The sirens for the tidal wave went off and the man ran as fast as he could down to the village because his wife and newborn son was in the village. When he got to the edge of where the tidal wave had washed up, there were a number of people that had been washed up onto the sort of the, the end of the beach. And his wife was one of them. He found her frantically looking. And when he found her, uh, she was in tears. And she said, our son, our son. She got washed out of the house, didn't even see it coming. But her baby son was still in the house. So the tidal wave had, had receded back, but you know how tidal waves work, right? As they go back, you stay away because they come again. So at full pace, without thinking, he runs toward where his house used to be. There's just a pile of rubble everywhere. He's running over planks and junk and stuff, and he finally gets to the house, and he's digging through the pile of rubble, and, and, and as he's digging, he hears a cry under the rubble. And as he digs down, he finds his infant son. Uh, battered and bruised but not damaged and he, he, he picks him up and he's crying and he holds him to himself and he sees the ocean, he turns and he runs at full pace back to where his wife was. He gets to his wife and they're looking at his son checking for damage and bleeding and is he hurt and they look down and there's blood all over the, the, the beach and they're like, oh my gosh, something must have happened, we're missing something but it's not and finally they realize the blood is coming from the man's feet 
He had shoes on, but as he ran across all of these planks and stuff, uh, these nails were sticking up everywhere. So as he ran across, uh, the nails drove right through his feet because he was running that fast and he wasn't thinking. He didn't feel it, didn't know it. Now it started hurting then. And he said, man, it started hurting then. He took his shoes off and there were multiple holes through his feet. Uh, a, a guy I had met that told me this story and had met with this man, he said he asked the man, how did you tolerate the pain when you ran across those planks to go get your son, how did you, how did you bear it? And the man said, I didn't, even, I, didn't, I didn't even feel it because my heart and my mind was on my son. I loved my son and until I got my son and got back with my son, I didn't even think about my feet and then when I saw my feet, wow, it hurt then. So when we have our hearts and minds fixed on someone because we love them, that drives deep, powerful things in us but it's temporal because as soon as that person stops being loving, as soon as they move from infancy into like two years old, it's over. (laughs) As soon as you are in a marriage, the first three months are fantastic and beyond that it just starts diminishing, right? In In terms of those feelings being sustainable. So yeah, it's great to say as long as my heart and mind are fixed on this other person, I love them, but that's fading and fleeting. So what do we do? What do we do? When we love radically and unconditionally, when we run across uh, the worlds for others and we're bleeding up and down and we've stepped into missional life and those we're trying to rescue are beating us half to death and people go, why do you stay in this? Why do you keep loving? How do you keep loving? How are you so radical in your love? This is what we say. I have my heart and my mind on Jesus who loved me radically and unconditionally and loves me radically and unconditionally every day. And when I think about the cross he bore and I think about the life he lived for me and I think about what he went through for me and goes through for me to this day and bearing not only my sin but the sin of the world, I don't even feel the pain like others do. Yes, when I get to the beach every time I go, ow, mission of life hurts. But I don't go, I shouldn't have run across the planks. I shouldn't have gotten the nails through my feet. I should have thought that through. No, nails through the feet is standard operating procedure for living missionally. But it's not gonna kill you because you are empowered by the Spirit. You keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat sat down at the right hand of the Father so that you will run with perseverance the race marked out for you and not grow weary and tired in doing good. This is our life. This is our freedom. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our minds set on things above. We stay close to the Spirit of God and we preach the gospel to ourselves every day and to one another. And what will be born out of that intimacy will be a life of radical love from the fruit of the Spirit, which will lead to a life of freedom, which will cause the world to look in and say, who do you follow? To which we will answer, we follow Jesus, for he is love and he is freedom. This is the book of Galatians, and it is done now. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this incredible letter that Paul wrote to the region of Galatia and all that it has unpacked for us now. May we walk out of this place changed, transformed, to see our lives differently, to realize that it is in the freedom of the gospel that we get to live now. And out of that freedom, we get to work toward intimacy with you, Spirit. And out of that intimacy, fruit will be born that are of the kingdom. And out of those fruit, we will live lives of radical, unconditional love. And out of that love, we will see freedom. Remind us, God, that the anxiety we feel every day about trying to write this story on planet Earth that will be a good story for us, trying to do things that will ultimately produce good things in the future, that we don't have to be anxious about those things because ultimately you are the author of our story. 
that we can participate in it, we can be wise, we can work diligently, but as soon as that work becomes anxiety, then we are just living in self-reliance again, forgetting, forgetting who you are, forgetting who, who you've said you are, and forgetting what you've said you're doing for us. May we live lives where we constantly come back to intimacy with you, Spirit, reminding ourselves that you are the author of our story, writing freedom into our story, and that you have set us free now to be radical, unconditional lovers of those who are close to us and those who are around us and those we don't even know, to our enemies for that matter. Not because we can love well, but because you live in us, love us radically and unconditionally, and empower us in intimacy with you to love powerfully, unconditionally, and radically. May we work diligently in the disciplines of the faith to stay close to you, Spirit, so that you might do in and through us what is impossible for us to do in of ourselves. Make this true, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.